Good morning, Mount Pleasant. So, you know, I don't get the chance to come up here very often, so I'm thankful for the opportunity to bring God's Word to you, something that the Lord has really laid heavy on my heart, the subject of family, and how important it is that we're raising our kids, not just bringing them to church, but raising them in a gospel-centered family, just how important that is. Uh, Pastor Joey sent me a text this morning, and he wanted me to extend his love to you so that he misses you, and he's looking forward to coming back and being with you again next week. I continue to keep them in prayers as they're traveling to New York, and uh, you, Lord, just use Pastor Joey there at Midway this morning. I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, starting off, so I would ask you to go ahead and stand out of honor and respect to God's word. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The customs of the priests with the people was that when any man offered the sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with the three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. I'm going to move ahead to verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good, no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and in favor, with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all the offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promised that your, that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only, only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar will be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart. And all his descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be to you, be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. 
and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, thank you for allowing us to come here and worship today. And I just pray that these words from your book, Lord, would speak to us in a powerful and mighty way, that we would be challenged to be raising gospel-centered children in a gospel-centered family. Lord, that you would just empty me of myself right now to fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I can communicate the truth of these scripture. And Lord, that we would just see a mighty movement of God in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Eli was a priest, a religious leader, and yet he failed his sons. He failed to lead them in the way that God had called them to. So we're going to, you know, if you were go and to look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, we're not going to read it, but it talks about the qualifications and how if you can't lead at home, you can't be expected to lead beyond the home. So it, it all starts at home. So what are you doing in your own homes to be raising a gospel-centered family? So I'm going to look at how Eli missed the mark. And you should have some notes in your bulletin, pretty long and detailed notes, about four pages long. I went a little overboard. But hopefully it's a good resource for you guys to take home with you. These four E's that we're going to go over on how Eli missed the mark, I got from a study Bible that I was using and thought it would just be a really good thing to go over. And so the first one we see is emphasis. The first blank, Eli emphasized teaching many people but not his own family. So as a priest, as a religious leader, he was looked up to, and of course, he was going to be teaching people a lot. But he didn't do that with his sons, we see, as they continued to fail the Lord. They used the Lord's offering with contempt. They were treating women inappropriately, and he didn't really do anything about it. He went ahead and he told them they shouldn't do it, but he never really took any action after that. The second E of how Eli missed the mark is expectation. Eli thought his sons would get it just because they lived in the Lord's house. He thought, you know, I'm a religious leader. They're always serving in the temple. They're going to get it one day. And we can easily think that as well. Okay, we bring our kids to church every Sunday and every Wednesday, and they're, they're plugged in all the time. Or maybe even, you know, I'm a pastor. I have pastor's kids. What you guys could be thinking is they're just going to get to know the Lord because they're always in church. I'm always in church. But that's not how it works. We see here that Eli is failing his kids at home. Next, E is example. Eli failed to live out in his home what he taught at work. And really, it does all start at home. And Eli was failing them in this way. And last, E is entanglements. Eli got so caught up with his profession that it blinded himself to failure. And many of us can fall into that very quickly if we're not careful, where we're going to work, especially men, you know, we're going out to work. We want to bring home money to supply for our family's needs. We want to take care of them. We want to provide beyond even their needs. So before you know it, we're putting in an extra 10 hours, 15, 20 hours a week, and we're neglecting our family, but we're using the excuse that we need the money. And really, God is telling us, no, you need to be with your family. They're your number one ministry. It's not the amount of money you bring in. It's not working up to get that next promotion. It's all about your family. And if you're going to fail your family, you're going to fail everywhere else. So let's look ahead to chapter 3, verse 13. It says, And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever, talking about Eli, for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, 
and he did not restrain them. So yes, Eli did go to them and he corrected them, but he didn't do anything to remove them from their position of serving in the temple. He didn't do anything to punish them. He just, he didn't want to address it. He, he wanted to correct them, but he didn't want to do anything in terms of discipline. So what I want to talk about today is how can we lead a gospel-driven family. So we have this family acrostic that we're going to go through, and some of them I'm going to through, go through a little quicker than others. But the first one is fear God. I'm going to turn to Proverbs 1, verse 7. And it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So your blanks under fear God is the fear of God should motivate you to disciple your children in a way that is honoring to him. Because of our fear of God, knowing that we are going to be held accountable for them one day before the Lord, and did we treat them the way we should have? Did we disciple them? Or did we leave it up to someone else? Did we leave it up to the church? Our fear of God should really drive our parenting. Next one we have A, always put Jesus first. Always put Jesus first. If our relationship with the Lord isn't right, it's going to impact everything else. It's going to impact your marriage. It's going to impact your children. It's going to impact your jobs. Wherever you go, it all starts with having that love for him. Because as we love Jesus more, that affects everything. Because of your love for Jesus, you're going to want to go out and serve others well. You're going to be looking out for the good of others. It's going to drive everything else you do and keep it on the right path. So it all starts with a love for Jesus a real and personal relationship with him. Just coming to church isn't a real love for Jesus. Anybody can give up a couple hours in their morning to come to church. It's what you do at home that is going to show your love for Jesus. So if we were to go to your children and ask them, do your parents love God? How do you, how do you know that? Are you living that out for them by example? Next one we have is marriage before your children. You know, children, as it says in God's word, that they are a gift from the Lord, but too many times it's put too much of an emphasis that you need to have a better relationship with your kids than you do with your own spouse. It's more important to spend time with them. And really, you need to make sure that your marriage is right. So the first blank is, the first step is a God-centered and healthy marriage. If your marriage is falling apart and if it's suffering, then it's going to impact your kids. You might convince yourself that, no, it, it won't happen in my family, but it will. It will impact everything. The next blank underneath there is your example to your children means more than anything you tell them, your marriage will preach. If you are showing love to your spouse and you're spending time with them, your kids are going to see that. They're going to see the affection you have for them. They're going to see you two spending time together in God's word and know, you know, if mom and dad's doing that, I better be doing that as well. It's all about setting that example. So I would encourage you to set a time aside every single week where you can spend time together. Just you and your spouse. I know that some of you are thinking, well, this, there's no way we can do that. We have sports going on. We have school activities. We're lucky to just kiss each other goodnight. But it's important that your marriage is where it needs to be and that you you're just continue to kindle that fire between each other so that it's healthy. And so I already talked to Heather about this. I was going to use her as an example. And since, you know, we're not married yet, obviously, but what we already started to do is start to put time aside for each other every week where a certain day and a certain time is just for us two. No matter what comes up, it's, no, sorry, we can't do it. We have to spend time together. 
unless it's a real emergency, we put that aside so we can start off early, we can start off on the right track. So that, that is never compromised. Time with your spouse is one thing that should not be compromised. You need to put that first. And of course, spend time together in the word of God and in prayer together. I can still remember when I was a young child going out, getting ready for school in the morning, and I see my dad in his recliner reading his Bible with his prayer list right next to him. So he set that example for me at a young age. And all the dads in here need to be saying that same example, which leads into our next one, I invest in your children. And then underneath that, it's fatherly influence. Because so many dads are stepping away from that role, what God has called them to be the main spiritual leader in the house. Turn to Ephesians 6.4. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's addressing fathers, saying this is your duty as the man of the house is to lead your children in the relationship with God. Now, obviously, the mother should have a role in that as well, but the dad should be the main spiritual leader. You should be the one leading your family in devotion and in prayer. You should be the one that's continuing having conversations with your kids about God. They need to hear it from you. God calls you to be the leader of the house, and you need to step up into that role. You can't back away from it. You can't make an excuse that, oh, I'm so busy with work. I, I'm just, Mom's going to have to deal with that for right now. No. God has called you to this. Stop shying away from it and step up and be a man. Next thing is partner with the church. There are many different ways that you can do that. Now, one way that Pastor Luke and myself try to do our best to resource you is we send out a weekly email. So you know what your kids learn in church on Sunday, and it gives you questions to ask your kids about what they learned. Now, your kids might be here for two hours on Sunday morning, and that's it. So they're going to get part of it, but some of it they're just going to forget whenever they leave. You need to be the one at home that is reminding them of what they learned. You need to open that email and read over those questions with them. You need to read over the passage of Scripture that we went over that morning. It's going to come down to you. So I know that we get bombarded with emails today and all kinds of text messages, but you have to take the time to read that. You are not going to regret it. Yeah, I've heard parents before say that they put too much into sports. So they had like three or four sports going on at once, and this year they're like, we're just cutting back. We're only doing one sport per child because it was too much. They regretted spending too much time in sports. I never heard a parent say, we spent too much time talking about God this week. We're going to dial it back a little bit. It was just too much for our family. You can never get too much Jesus in your family. Gospel parents are also different from religious parents. Okay, we're going to talk about the difference. That's in your notes with some room underneath it. If something speaks to you, you want to jot it down, go ahead and do that. The first thing, gospel parenting is teaching children to fear God. We see that again in Proverbs 1 verse 7. It's important that we teach our children to have a healthy fear of God. You know, that they are the one that's in control. And you probably told your kids this before, the world does not revolve around you. And they need to know that. Second thing, gospel parenting is discipling your children. I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these things I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. So what's that saying? You need to be talking about Jesus all the time. Not just after church on the way home. Not just, oh, you know, I think we'll, we'll make time to do it two, maybe three times a week. No, it's saying throughout your whole day, when you're walking, when you're about to go to bed, when you get up in the morning, when you're going from here to there, take advantage of those opportunities. You need to have time together as a family where you're opening the Word of God and you're praying. Not just when it's convenient or when you can find extra time, you need to make it a priority. That means every single day. And some of you are thinking, there's just no way we can do that. We are way too busy. It doesn't have to look like a typical sitting around the dining room table, opening up the Bible together and praying. It can be anything. You could be on the way to sports practice, and you have 10, 15 minutes. Why don't you pull out the Bible app and start reading the Bible together? Why don't you get a devotional off the Bible app? There's some great ones on there for teens and for children. Read those together. Pray together. You have so many different moments in your life throughout the day to talk to your children about God, but we're failing to do that. Because we have this in our mind, this picture where it has to be done a certain way. And you can take any time you have. Just driving down the street, maybe there's an ambulance that's driving by. And instead of just not doing anything about it, you say, you know what, I don't know what's going on, but let's take some time and let's pray for them. Let's pray for all the people involved. That's teaching your children that your first response to anything is prayer. Because we need prayer. We need a daily dependence on God. Next thing, gospel parenting is looking for what God wants for your children. I know we have plans and ideas for what we'd like our kids to do, what we'd like them to be when they grow up, maybe even who we want them to marry. But the thing is, it's not about us. It's not about our plans. It's about God's plans for them. God has much greater plans for your children you could ever even dream of. But you have to give them over to him. Gospel parenting is being an ambassador of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul David Tripp continues to say. Anytime he talks about parenting, he always talks about being an ambassador, standing up for him, representing Christ in your parenting. A few ways you can do that is just show compassion to your children. Another way is just understanding that your child does not belong to you. Your child belongs to God. He has given you the responsibility of being their parent. He has chosen you to be their parent but they are not your children. They are God's. We need to yield completely to his plans. And another thing is to represent Christ in the way that you parent, showing grace, extending mercy. Be Jesus to your children. Let them see Jesus in you. And then the last thing, gospel parenting, is dependability on Jesus. So extending that grace, knowing that, you know, aiming for a heart change in the lives of your kids. Religious parenting is depending on the law to guide your kids. Now, we should be teaching them the law. We should help them understand what it means, how we live that out. But we cannot let our parenting be based on the law. Okay, the Pharisees ended up doing that. Everything that they did was driven by the law, and they got their priorities way messed up. They lost focus of what truly mattered. Religious parenting is depending on the church to raise your children to know God. Now, like I said earlier, we are here to support you and do anything that we can 
but we should never take your place. And that is not our goal at all. Our goal is to support you, to come alongside you, encourage you, equip you, give you resources to help you be a better parent. We are here for you anytime. And, you know, we would love to, to give you some resources if you're struggling with a certain thing, give you some book recommendations, but never let any of those books replace this book right here. This is the book that you need for your parenting. The gospel is what your children need more than any other parenting expert. All comes back to the Bible. They need that more than anything else in the world. L is love unconditionally. Just as Jesus loves us unconditionally, we need to do the same thing for our kids. Now, there's a story of a soldier who went away and fought war for a little while, and he calls his parents and says, I'm coming back, I'm going to be here, and just, I'm going to be back in a few days. And they're all excited, of course, to hear that he's coming back and returning. And he says, you know, I have this friend I'm bringing with me, and I want us to take him in. He stepped on a landmine, and he blew off an arm and a leg. So I want us to t- take care of him. They go, oh, yeah, sure, well, he can stay here for a few days, and then we'll find a place for him to stay. And he goes, no, you don't get it. I want him to live with us like, for the rest of his life. He has no one to go home to. He's all on his own, no family. And you go, well, son, I, I just don't think we can do that. It's going to put a lot of burden on us. It's going to put us in a spot we've never been in before. Um, just having someone with a handicap like that is really going to limit us, and it's going to tie us down too much. So the son's kind of frustrated, and he hangs up. He doesn't talk to them anymore. They get, his parents get a call from the police a few days later, say, uh, we believe your son has fallen off a building, and he, he's died. We need you to come identify the body. So they drive there, scared out of their minds, and they identify the body, and they say, that's our son. And their son didn't have a leg or an arm. That was a son who got injured. And because he felt rejected by his parents, because they weren't going to have unconditional love, it brought him to the point of suicide. So the good news is we have Jesus, who will love us no matter what our limitations no matter how messed up we are. And if we're going to be Jesus to our kids, we need to do that same thing. No matter what they might be going through, no matter how difficult, how frustrating they might be in times, unconditional love. That's what's going to help us be a gospel-driven family. Why is yield yourself to God? It's not about our will. It's all about his Oswald Chambers said, when you are joyful, be joyful. When you are sad, be sad. If God has given you a sweet cup, don't make it bitter. And if he has given you a bitter cup, don't try to make it sweet. Take things as they come. Now I want to look at three ways in which the gospel affects our parenting. The first thing is gospel, sorry, it motivates parents to live by example. Motivates parents to live by example. If you go to Ephesians 5, chapters 22 to 33, you'll see how God lays out marriage and how he has intended for it. The roles of the wives and the husbands. So you need to be living your life as an example. You need to make sure that you're putting Jesus first in everything. Now, there are some things that take the place of God, and we don't even realize it sometimes. One of the major things that happen, I've seen recently is sports. Now, don't get me wrong, because I love sports. I'm a big sports fan. I'm coaching two soccer teams right now for Colonial Heights, and I really enjoy it. But if it's taking the place of God where you are missing church consistently because of it, 
and you aren't spending time together as a family teaching your kids about Jesus, then that has become an idol in your life. And you need to think about, okay, what adjustments do we need to make now so that we are showing our kids how to live by example? Because I've talked to kids before, and I've told them, it's so important that you open God's word every day, and you read it, and you pray. And they'll, they'll say that they're too busy. And one of the examples they always give is sports. And so I'll say to them, I'll, I'll go, okay, so you didn't eat that day either, I guess. I'll go, no, we ate. Well, I thought you were too busy. No, no, we needed to eat. Well, don't you need Jesus every day? It's important that we're teaching that to our children and living it out by example. That means you need to set the priorities. You need to, as a parent, take the lead. And if sports is going to interfere with something, with church or with God, you tell them no, because Jesus is your priority. William Farley says, The gospel should make parents humble, consistent, and affectionate. These qualities should do more to transfer a parent's faith, self-discipline, and values to his children than anything else. Our marriages will preach the gospel to our children if we're living them out the way that God has intended them to. Of course, we know Jesus is our ultimate example. A few ways that Jesus modeled for us to live is by servant leadership. We know that Jesus said, I came here not to be served, but to serve. So how can we serve our children? Another is complete surrender to God's will. Jesus was not looking forward to going through all those sufferings and getting put up on a cross. We hear he, he goes to God and he asks him to take away that cup of suffering, but only if it's God's will. And of course, God's will was for him to go to the cross for our sins and die for us. So just like Jesus did something very difficult for us, because it was God's will, we need to do the same thing in our parenting and our daily walk with him. And of course, Jesus also models time alone with God every day. Jesus, a perfect man, done no wrong, said, I need time with God. And so if he did that, how much more do we, as wicked, filthy sinners, need to have time with him every day? Second thing is the gospel affects parenting by it teaches healthy discipline. You know, talk about discipline nowadays with kids and a lot of people go, oh, we don't want to discipline them. Maybe put them in the corner for five minutes. But that's all we want to do. But the Bible says that we need to discipline our children. That, that blank there is biblical discipline always expresses the love of God. And remember that when God disciplines us, it's out of his love for us. He wants us to grow and learn from it. The Bible says that those who do not discipline their children actually hate them. That's what it says in Proverbs 13, 24. I'm going to go ahead and read that. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So you tell me you love your children, but you don't discipline them. You actually tell me that you don't care about your children. They need to be disciplined. That's how we learn. Whenever God disciplines me and I do something wrong, I learn. I don't want to do that again. That's the same kind of discipline that should be done to our children. There's a book called Gospel-Powered Parenting, and it talks about these three ways of gospel and discipline. It says, The gospel convinces us that your children's sin is not your problem, but your child's problem. The gospel instructs us to pursue our children's hearts rather than their behavior. Because so often... We see they did something wrong, and we do whatever we can to adjust it so that we just see a different behavior. We just want a different action from them. When the gospel is saying, it's a heart problem, 
Sin is a heart issue. We need to address the heart and not the action that they've just done. And the gospel motivates us to discipline, to preach the gospel to our children. The next blank under there, the world says punishment is child abuse. The Bible says failure to discipline is child abuse. You love your children, you will discipline them. And you will do it in love because you want to correct them. Now, next thing I'm going to bring up be um, a hot topic for many people. I'm going to talk about spanking. And I am in favor of spanking. I think it is a good way to go about disciplining kids. And I'm looking around, and I see some of the kids giving me a look, like, why did you bring that up? (laughs) But really, and I'm not here to convince you, if you don't do that, I'm not saying you need to change. But I want to give you some suggestions of how to go about it so that it can express the love of God when you spank your children. Now, of course, this is only going to be for a certain age group of kids. There gets a point where spanking is not appropriate. But for younger children, this is what I would do. First, I would say never spank in the heat of the moment. Make sure you go away. You don't want to do it in anger. You want to do it in love. So if you need to just cool off a little bit, go away and pray. Do that first. Next, I would recommend you find some verses on whatever they did that was wrong. So if they just had an anger outburst, you know, I would recommend this book that is called Parenting with Scripture, where we'll, you can go to any of whatever they're struggling with. Let's say it's anger, and it gives all these verses on anger, and it'll have discussion questions you can have with them, sometimes an activity but that's the way we can be gospel-driven in our families. So find those verses, go over it with them, go into their room and talk about it. Read verses together, talk about why it was wrong and what you can do to correct it. And then after you spank them, I would hold them until they're done crying so that they can still feel your love. They know you're not doing it in anger. And then after that, I would say, ask your child if they're ready to ask God for forgiveness. The last blank there is sacrificial parenting. If you were to go back a little bit in 1 Samuel, you would see that Hannah offers her son to the service of God. You know, she's going through a hard time. She doesn't have any kids, and she's really ashamed and embarrassed by it. But she prays to God, and she's persistent in her faith. And we know that she then has a son named Samuel, and she dedicates him to the Lord, to the temple. She gives him away because that's what she prayed for God. And he, he answered her prayer, she said, you know what, this is not my child, this is yours. I give him over to you, surrendering my will for my child for your will for your child. And then we also have Jesus' death on the cross. That is the best example of sacrifice that we will ever have. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. His obedience to the Lord, whenever it wasn't something that he really wanted to do, but because of his love for us, he said, you know what, I love these people too much. I can't bear the thought of them going to hell. I'm going to die so they have the opportunity to go to heaven. So we need to be sacrificial in our parenting, putting our own desires aside for the good and better of our children. The four to-dos, and then I'll be done. First is be intentional to spend more time with Jesus every day. Make it a priority. Your kids need to see that, and not only do they need to see it, but you need it yourself every day. Second thing, set time aside every week to be alone with your spouse. How important it is that our marriages are where they should be. And as that falls into place and our love for Jesus falls into place, raising your children to be gospel-centered will come right behind it. Third thing is talk about Jesus with your children every day. 
not just when you have time, not here and there, not just after church, every single day. Make that a priority and figure out how you're going to do that. And number four, it's never too late or too early. Start today. Whether you're a teenager and you're thinking, I'm not even married, I'm not even close to being married, what does this have to do with me? You can know what to look for in a spouse. You can be praying for a future spouse. You know, you can come alongside the younger kids and encourage them. And you know, what I will also say is, I can't speak for the student ministry and how many they have, but I know in children's ministry, we have 150 kids that come to this church. That means there's a lot of parents here that need your encouragement. Whatever spot in life you're at, they're trying to raise their kids in a world that is bringing up many things they never thought they'd have to face as a parent. Sometimes they don't know how to address it. They need you to just come alongside them and offer them a word of encouragement. Praise them for whenever you see their kid doing something that just really makes you smile. See that they are raising their children to know Jesus. They're bringing their kids here. That's a great start. Pray for them. Encourage them. I'm going to close this in a time of prayer. And if you want to come forward at any point, if you need to come just talk to a pastor or you just want to pray, you want to give your life over to Jesus, and you're here, no, I'm hearing this name, Jesus. What does that have to do with me? What, what did he do? Well, out of his love for you, he died for you on the cross so that you could have the chance to be a son and daughter of him. But that wasn't it. He rose from the dead three days later, giving victory over death. And all it takes is your repentance of sin, understanding you've messed up, and that you need Jesus. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, I think of all the families in this room, and I just ask that you would be stirring amongst their hearts a desire to look at areas in their lives where they're failing as parents, maybe where they're struggling. Lord, they wouldn't look to parenting experts for wisdom, but they would look completely to you, look to the Bible for their answers. God, I just pray for the, the kids and the youth represented in this room that they would grow up having a knowledge of you, having a heart and desire to follow you. Or take them all over the world, raise them up to be pastors, leaders in the church, to go out and be nurses and teachers, but do those things with the gospel in mind, that they would be intentional in telling others about who you are. I just pray for these parents to, to raise them up, to give them that desire, that passion, to want to point them to Jesus every single day, to realize that it does start with them at home. It does not start here at the church, Lord. You have given these parents, these kids, and they are to raise them to know you. Help them to take that seriously. In Jesus' name, amen.